Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I mean, if we, if we talked about the quantum field and everything, like every possibility exists as frequency and energy. So it's like the thought sends a signal out and it's like the feeling pulls it back in. I mean, that's a, it's a very simplistic way to say it, but I mean... I think that is the foundation of the creative process. It's like, it's like you think about something and the more you think about it, it's like, at first it's like a 2, 2D image on like a, in a coloring book. And the more you think about it, the more you start coloring this thing in and then it becomes, slowly becomes this reality. And then it becomes, I mean, metaphorically speaking, but becomes this 3D object. And then, you know, the more you revisit this thing, it's like dropping a stone in a pond, right? And, and, the transference of energy in the universe is the wave. So it's like when you drop, every time you visit that intention, you're dropping a stone in a pond and that, that wave, that ripple ripples out. And that's a wave, but you, you never know how big the pond you're dropping that in, in is. So it's like at some point, you know, it, it, that wave will reach the end of the pond and it'll like come back to you. So, I mean, that's kind of how I think of of intention and creation, you just have to keep revisiting that thing. And also the important element is that you, you revisit it with um, the feeling and emotion of what the fruition or the manifestation of that idea would be. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Tim, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you. It's an honor to be uh, on the program. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So I actually came across your story because you wrote in about a new book that you have written, which we will talk about in uh, quite a bit of detail. And I was really fortunate to receive an early copy of it and uh, was really kind of you know blown away by the entire concept of it and the ideas in it. But before we get to all of that, uh, I want to start asking what I think is a relevant question, given some of what I've read in the book. And that is, what is one of the most important things that you learned from one or both of your parents? that have had an impact on who you've become and what you've done with your life? Wow. Um, didn't, didn't throw me a softball to start here, huh? But um, good question. Uh, my, this is interesting because I was, I was recently thinking about, um, how do I even start into this? Well, I think 
um, sometimes the negative thing that we learn can become a big thing. So, you know, I've been thinking about that. We come into the world with, you know, our DNA comes from two people. There's two strands. And my mother was an incredibly like loving person, but also really, really fearful. And, and my father, which I found out, um, only at his funeral, my dad was actually, uh, the third day in Normandy. So he got a purple heart and a bronze star in World War II. And um, I found out at his funeral, he was the only person to survive this attack on his squad. So, you know, I, I talked to one of his best friends and he had this like, like unworthiness slash survival guilt most of his life. Of course, he didn't share that with his family or it just like one of his best friends who's like how I found this out. So he had sort of this like unworthiness thing, I think. He was like, you know, like, why did I survive? You know, and, and then he was like, I hope my, my life means something, which I just, it's such a strange, absurd thing. But I mean, who knows the weight each person carries. So there are these, the fear came from my mother. And then there's this like unworthiness thing that I think a lot of people deal with. And, you know, I, I'm sort of, facing the unworthiness thing right now i'm kind of living in my fourth book i've been plotting out the next three like i'm i'm in living in san miguel de ande mexico right now mm -hmm. so on my wall in my uh apartment i have you know three books in post-it notes that i'm just um building the ideas to which is very different from the way i wrote this first book a curious year in the great vivarium experiment which was that it was just kind of gonzo journalism i bought a one-way ticket to india and um, I didn't have a lonely planet or even I didn't have a plan. All I had was uh, I knew I was going to go to Dharamsala, India, and that was it. Um, so I think a lot of the things that I've done in life, as far as like joining a band when I didn't really know how to play music or improv or buying a one-way ticket to India, it's almost to fight that, um, that fear that was instilled in me from my mother, because I think I was a very fearful person for a long time. So, I mean, there's, there's that aspect, which is sort of a one side of the pendulum. And then, and then the other, I think my parents gave me like the seeds of faith. They were very, very Catholic and, but remarkably, they kind of let each of us, um, figure out our own paths to really understand what the hell we're all doing here. And, um, so yeah, I, I think that's, uh, those are, those are the things, the two sides of the pendulum that, that I learned from my parents. What did they teach you about careers and career choices? Well, my mother always said I should be a writer or a teacher. And, um, the writing has just been something, you know, I started the first time I laid pen to paper, I was 17. And I've been keeping a journal ever since. And I knew I wanted to be a writer at that age, like in high school, reading like Joyce Steinbeck, Kerouac, um, these larger than life characters. I realized that if I wanted to do, you know, if I wanted to write about interesting things, I had to have these, um, I had to have interesting experiences. But, um, if so, it, um, you know, I, I think as far as my mother, instilled that in me. And it's funny because now I'm actually a writing coach. So mm -hmm. I'm starting to coach other people. My dad, um, 
again, I think it goes back to him surviving World War II. And he's just like, you guys should do whatever you want and you should just be happy. And um, to a certain extent that I think that worked the opposite way because I was, I always knew I wanted to be a writer, but I didn't know how to get there. Um, so it was a very sort of zigzagging path and me wondering, oh my God, I'm stuck in debt. I'm stuck in this corporate job. How am I ever going to make the leap and live my dreams and whatnot? So um, yeah, I mean, they didn't, I, I'm also like the youngest. I like to call myself a martini baby. So, you know, I came around, my dad was 51, my mom was 42 and I'm nine years behind my closest sibling. So I think at that point they were so tired. They're like, geez, just stay out of jail and don't get anybody pregnant and, you know, do whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have a ton of uh, direction, but I had that inner compass that there was something inside me that I was like, whatever this feeling is inside of me, I need to express it. And writing became the way that I did it. I don't think you're alone in having that feeling that you need to express this thing, but I think that not many people give in to that need to express something. And as we get older, it becomes quieter. It becomes stifled. And, you know, you having traveled the world, why do you think that is? I'm sorry, could you repeat that, that last part? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you've traveled the world. You've had this really interesting life. Why do you think that is that that desire to express something gets diminished with time? Well, I mean, because of uh, adulting, you know, it's like we have this the fire and passion of youth. And then, you know, I, I just thought I, I would come out of college and somebody would pay me to travel the world and write. And I was severely mistaken, especially as a writing and philosophy major. Turns out it's, you know, not, not that marketable, but you know, it, it teaches you how to think. So there was that, but, um, it, it's so easy to get lot. I mean, every year, like everything in the world is becoming more and more expensive. And, um, at some point you either, you follow your dream or you sort of buy into this system and it's very easy to get locked into the golden handcuffs. You know, you're just, Oh, I'll just do this for a little while. And then you get a raise and then, you know, depending on the job, maybe you get stock options and then that pulls you in for four more years. So, and then, you know, you wake up and you have a kid or something. I mean, I haven't done that whole thing yet, but, um, I just always be, I really wanted, like I tried to get into finance when I was out of college and my friends were like, you're going to absolutely hate this. Like, I'm not going to let you into this thing. And I was like, what? All these people are making money, but there's just been this internal compass that I've had that, I mean, I knew from like when I started writing at age 17, I sort of knew the next revolution was going to be like a spiritual revolution, like an internal one, because we've explored most of the world. That's sort of a Newtonian external world. And, and really now, I mean, the big things that are popping up in science are, is the quantum world, which is, you know, the smallest elements and and there's the Newtonian world, which is the predictable. And we know how to send a person to the, you know, the moon and how long it'll take and everything. And then there's the quantum world, which is the unknown. And I mean, I, it's a very, yeah, I do, I do all these things. I realize I, I take these huge leaps into the unknown and, um, it's not without fear and trepidation, but you know, it's probably to combat that fear. And it's also, the opposite is to live sort of a linear, predictable life. And again, I mean, for me personally, not everybody, but 
there's nothing that interesting um, for me about driving to a commute, you know, like a commute to an office job and stuff. Like I want to explore big ideas about consciousness and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. Yeah. So as as you're saying this, I, I can't help but think about a conversation I was having with a friend yesterday uh, about security. And he said, this is something you should explore and you should write about. He's like, security is an illusion. And when I, he said that, I said, man, that is a deep rabbit hole. But given that I'm talking to you and the nature of our conversation, I want to ask you, what do you think about that? Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips.
Oh boy. Well, you know, I, um, when I, I was ghostwriting a book and, um, when I was finished in May, 2017, I asked the guy I was writing for, I said, if you could go anywhere to, um, to finish a book, where would you go? And he said, San, San Miguel de Ande, Mexico, you'll never want to leave. And I had never heard of it. And in the next four days, it showed up everywhere. And I was like, okay, I'm going to Mexico. So I booked a one-way ticket down here and I lived here for three months to finish my book. And when I was down here, um, I met this woman who lived in Mexico City. And we wound up doing a long distance relationship thing for 15 months. So then it was kind of like shit or get off the pot time. And I, I was like, okay, everything lined up. So I'm like, I'm going to move to Mexico. I didn't move to Mexico City where she lived. I'm three hours away, but, um, but it was like this huge jump into the unknown. And that, I mean, it will make for some interesting narrative in the fourth book, but that blew up within a month. And, you know, the next three months up until like December, I was questioning everything I was doing. And I was just like, God, I just, I just want some security and stability and like a, a steady paycheck would amaze, be amazing. And so I was kind of really, it was a, it was a, a hard time and a hard place to be in, which is always where the most incredible lessons come from. But when you're in it, I mean, you're just like, get, you want to do anything to get me out of it, get yourself out of there. So I was like, you know, I'm like, maybe I should just go back to Seattle and get a corporate job and, you know, just sort of get my, um, my seat stable again. But, you know, the new year happened and just, it's like so many people I've talked to, it's like 2018 was a challenging year. It's like the energy and everything. And then 2019 happened and there was just this great shift and it was like 2019 happened and sort of it's like I took off this backpack of weights and um things have been really kind of unfolding in interesting ways now and um I mean if you are if you are committed to an idea um especially as a creative I think you have to just you have to follow it through and you have to tr surrender and trust which is like a huge element of my book um, that, you know, I, I think it's all about being in alignment with your higher self. And it's, that's, that's like a shift that I've been thinking about in the last couple of days. I'm like, oh, I'm focusing on the wrong thing. I'm, I shouldn't be focusing on, well, people would argue with me on this, but like, uh, the, the financial aspect or whatever, I should be focusing on, um, sort of, the aspect of freedom and alignment with my higher purpose. And I think if I, if I sort of move that back, then what I need is going to show up because I'm in alignment with that, that higher truth of who I really am. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you've lost both of your parents, right? Yep. How old were you when that happened? Oh boy. Um, I think I was 30 when my dad passed away and 36 when my mom passed away but I, I i lived on the west coast and i grew up on the east coast mm -hmm. and my family was kind of hiding from me that my mom was slipping for a long time because i'm the baby and they just wanted me to you know be free on the west coast and stuff like that but it was like my mom you know every time i went home a little bit more of her had disappeared so it was like and you know for a decade while my friends were starting to travel around the world and do this and that. Like I was going home to New Jersey to visit sick parents. So when my mom passed away, dad was already, had already passed away. And 
when my mom passed away, I was, I had been working on this book proposal about, um, sort of my first adult, big adult trip where I took off to, uh, Tanzania and I volunteered in an orphanage for two months. So I was working on a book proposal about that experience and the woman who started it. And, um, actually it was on, it was featured on 60 Minutes a decade later. But when my mom passed away, I said, like in my book, it's like when you lose a parent, it's like uh, a tornado or a tsunami sweeps through your life. And no matter how hard you try to rebuild, something intangible is lost forever. So I was kind of like, all right, well, this is what I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to just travel the world and and write about my experiences. Um, so that's what I did. I was like, this is the time my mom passed away. I was, I didn't have uh, any, any more of quote unquote anchors in, in that department. So I, I bought a one-way ticket to India and I only had enough money to travel for probably three to four months, but I was doing this gratitude and intention exercise every day, which is essentially like writing down five things you're grateful for and five things you want to create. I want to and talk about that. But yeah, yeah, there's, there's real power in that. And it's like that created the whole itinerary. And I returned 15 months later with, you know, more money than I left with. I had volunteered for a guy who won the equivalent of two Nobel prizes, worked as like a school photographer's assistant and just had like countless experiences with like the magical and the mystical. And it was, mm. it was pretty astounding. When I think back now, I'm like, Oh my God, that was insane. That was an insane decision to buy a one way ticket to India land in New Delhi without a plan or a clue. I mean, the first two days I was like, <laughs> just like locked in my hotel room, like, oh my God, what am I doing? Why did I do this? What am I trying to prove? And then, you know, things just unfolded really quickly in pretty magnificent ways. So uh, the reason I asked the question about the parents is I, I kind of thought it was a pretty young age to, to lose both parents just based on what I'd read about the book and then read in the book. And, you know, I wonder, other than sort of buying the ticket to India, how did uh, losing your parents and, you know, coming, you know, face to face with their mortality cause you to change the way that you lived your life? Uh, like, how did it make you view your own life differently? Hmm, that's a really good question. Um, I kind of, rem- I, it's almost like you, it's like you, you have this reflection of this person who's been there your, you know, your entire life, then um, all of a sudden they're gone and you sort of look at them and and their life and who they were and sort of juxtapose it over your own. And, you know, it's like, I'm like, okay, these are, I didn't do it this literally, but I'm like, these are these amazing qualities of these people that I want to embody. And then there's these other things that I, I don't want to, to become. Um, so, I mean, there's that, but then it's also, I don't know. It's a really good question. I'd have to think about it some more, but, um, it's just, it's like, you don't have this, um, I don't know if the words platform or something, but, um, this, this foundation anymore of these people who you could, you know, they are, the people that brought you into the world and you look to them for advice and everything. And, and then they're gone. And then all of a sudden you're like, shit, man, I gotta, now I gotta forge my own path. And it's like, you know, you, you, you sort of discover who you are in that process. So, I mean, I remember being really young, 
like seven years old, five, seven after a soccer game and, and being at like Scotto's Pizza in Chester, New Jersey. And the, the waitress coming up and being like, what would you and your grandfather like? And it was like, <laughs> this awkward moment of like my dad and I looking at each other. And I think there was this sort of neural net that was like created in that moment that was like, oh, my dad is my grandparent, my friend's grandparents age, my friend's grandparents are dying. And it kind of, um, you know, that was also always sort of a little bit of a shadow that was hanging over me. Like, my God, you know, my parents are old. How long are they going to be with me for? And all right. In, in that light, I still feel, I feel lucky that I had them, my, you know, my dad for 30 years. And I'm going to explore that relationship and sort of the masculine thing in my next book. Um, but, um, that's, that's a great question, man. I, 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 I'm going to have to explore that one in some writing, but yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I wasn't expecting some sort of, you know, packaged answer for that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, the, the reason the question was on my mind because, uh, I remember a couple of years ago, we had Frank Ostaseski here from the, the Zen Hospice Project. And I, I remember asking him, I said, you know, man, I'm over the fear of, of being alone. And then it was replaced by another fear, which was, wait a minute. I'm like, if my parents die before I have kids or get married or hit these major milestones, uh, that we're supposed to have in our lives. I was like, that was really troubling to me. It was just, wow, that's, you know, an entirely a possibility. And he basically gave me one piece of advice and that was to go spend as much time with them now as possible. He said, don't let that be a deterrent from you spending time with them. Yeah. I actually interviewed, um, I interviewed my dad about a, a year before he died. And at the same, that same weekend, I interviewed my mom who was aware that she was slipping from, you know, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia, however you want to lab label it. But so I think that's, I mean, I would recommend that for anybody um, mm. to spend that kind of time and, you know, interview, interview your parents about their life. And um, yeah, StoryCorps even has an app for that. <laughs> StoryCorps has an app specifically oh, no. for that purpose. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I forgot about StoryCorps. That, that's a great program. Yeah. Well, let's do this. Let's shift gears a little bit and um, get into the ideas in the book. I mean, I think where I want to start is I remember this is, you know, something you wrote in the book and it sounds like some, a lesson you got, you know, you said they're inside all of us equal parts of darkness and light and whichever one you choose to serve becomes the dominant force in your life. The darkness I speak of lurks in the corner of our thoughts as doubt, fear, unworthiness, and shame. When you serve these thoughts, they become the actions which become modes of expression. So I guess, how do you avoid serving the darkness is really the question that comes from that. I think you got to do a lot of, a lot of big internal work. Um, I mean, something that totally changed my life was when I started meditating. So I've been, uh, you know, very committed to meditating since about 2015. And I, I took sort of my first meditation, you know, workshop, uh, in 2010 with, uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza. So he's, He's become a friend and a mentor. Um, and I think a lot about it is a lot of that and, and just other work is becoming aware of the unconscious programs that, um, are, we're all running. I mean, I'm, I'm still becoming unconscious of these programs. And it's like the deeper you grow, it's almost like a labyrinth, you know, but, but if you're doing like this deep work or spiritual work or something, it's like, you know, I just had, I just had a situation in my life where 
I was like, okay, I mastered this thing. You know, I'm on to the next. And that thing just like showed up again and just mm-hmm. like slapped me across the face. But it's like, are you ready to take this next step? And, and I find that, you know, the quicker, because of probably my meditation practice and all this stuff that the quicker you get up from those things that knock you down, the more, the more quickly, um, they become dissolved. But, you know, I think there's like focus, like the gratitude and intention exercise. Yeah. The gratitude and intention I do every day. That, that's a good thing to just become a little bit more aware. And I do a lot of little, so, little exercises like that. Let's talk about that one in detail because that was, that struck me that you, you know, in every chapter of the book, you mentioned, you know, what your gratitude was and then what your intention was. So, Walk us through the details of that, um, what you do, why you do it, and what the result of it has been. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs, no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. 
Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Well, um, after my mom passed away, I, you know, I thought I was ready, but it really just sort of like rocked the tectonic plates beneath my uh, feet. And a friend of my sister was like sort of an energy healer, etc. And I had a session with her and she's like, okay, you're a writer. Yeah. All right. I want you to do this exercise every day. I want you to write down five things you're grateful for and five things you want to create. She said, you're going to find that the things that you are, uh, you create today are going to be things you're grateful for in the future. So I was like, man, I'll do anything right now. So I just went out and bought a little $2 notebook and, um, I started writing down these things and she was like, don't have any attachment to it. Just like create it, close the notebook, move on. And I mean, every, you know, every probably two or three chapters, I include that in the book as sort of a structural element, because really, that created my itinerary almost. I didn't have an itinerary, but, you know, when you're traveling, you're in such an open flow state, and you you really kind of, you can either fight it and, you know, um, not rescind, but, uh, well, whatever, you can either fight it or you can expand into it. And you know, I would just write down things like, okay, while I'm traveling, I want to volunteer and be of service. And I wound up connecting through an old family friend with this guy, and I had no idea who he was. Um, it was like my sister's friend from Boston 30 years ago. She was an Indian woman, and we always took in stragglers at my house, and she's like, find Pari. So I found Pari, and um, I was like, well, you know, I... I think I would like to volunteer because it's a good way to go into a country and sort of learn the customs and just orient yourself. And so she's like, okay, well, I know this guy who owns an East or I know this woman who works for this guy that owns an eco ashram. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Whatever. I'll, I'll sweep floors. That's not above me. And so I had to go through all these hoops. And then I find out that this guy has won the equivalent of two Nobel prizes and he's, um, you know, he sued the state of India over the course of 20 years to create a green zone around the Taj Mahal. So at one point, he had like 20,000 people burning his image in effigy and marching against him. He had 24-hour security for um, two years or something. At one point, the um, Supreme Court of India was holding a special case for his environmental cases every Friday. So, I mean, that is just like one tiny thing. Um, but there were so many things. I mean, even, even now, um, what, what I find is that, you know, the less you are holding on to something and you're like, I need this, I need to create this, blah, blah, blah. It's like the less of a chokehold you have on that thing, the sooner it kind of manifests. And I mean, you know, I could go into sort of the quantum physics of it and everything. And, but, um, yeah, it's something, I mean, there's, amazing things like just just um two weeks ago i had written on this piece of paper i i put a circle in the middle of the paper and i i put like apartment and on one side i wrote out 
um, what the apartment was like. And on the other side, I wrote out um, what it felt like. And I've been sort of, um, not the word's not exactly unstable, but sort of moving from place to place here. And I was like, okay, I'm going to get really focused on this. And I wrote this thing down and I expected it to take, you know, I was like, I want to create this by Friday, you know, give myself a week. And it's like in 24 hours, this apartment showed up. It's exactly what I wanted. Tons of glass, tons of light, huge terrace overlooking like the parochial church and everything like that. And I just didn't have any expectations. And I don't know. It's like, you know, Dr. Joe Dispenza would, would say like, I mean, if we, if we talked about the quantum field and everything, like every possibility exists as frequency and energy. So it's like the thought sends a signal out and it's like the feeling pulls it back in. I mean, that's a, it's a very simplistic way to say it, but I mean, I think that is the basis of the creative process. I, I just wrote, um, I don't really call them blogs anymore. It's on, on my website at curiousear.com. It's under the blog um, tab, but they're really more essays because they're more fully formed thoughts. But I, I was talking about that as like the, the foundation of the creative process. It's like, it's like you think about something and the more you think about it, it's like, at first it's like a 2D, 2D image on like a, in a coloring book. And the more you think about it, the more you start coloring this thing in and it becomes slowly becomes this reality. And then it becomes, I mean, metaphorically speaking, but becomes this 3D object. And then, you know, the more you revisit this thing, it's like the more clear this picture comes. And then, you know, you're pulling it from an idea into matter or form. Mm. I think that, you know, there's something else you said in the book. You said when you're traveling, you become open to the possibility and you surrender your human instinct to manufacture and control your experiences. And, you know, I think it's fitting considering what you were just talking about. Why are we like that when we travel but we're not like that when we're back in our, our sort of normal environment where we, we do that. Because, you know, I think that is interesting. Like one thing I've learned over the last year was that when you don't have any expectations of any situation, those situations seem to always delight you a hell of a lot more. And then exactly. this whole idea of surrender, like, OK, if this doesn't turn out the way that I want it to. Just kind of like, yeah, OK, um, that to me was so empowering and yet. I mean, if you think about it, we put so much effort and energy into trying to manufacture and control things that we have absolutely no control over. In fact, we yeah. built a self-help industry, in my opinion, around doing exactly that. Yeah. Well, I, I think when you're traveling, um, first of all, when you're living in your your day-to-day life, right, you're, you're usually in routine. You're living in the unknown. You're probably taking the same... Um, same way to work. You're probably going to the same bars or coffee shops or restaurants. And I, I think when you when you travel, everything is a great unknown. And and you're probably, I mean, you could go down a whole different road and like you're creating new sort of neural networks for these experiences. And um I just think like it's been my experience in all of these things I've done um that and and it doesn't it does not go without a huge amount of like fear and trepidation. But when you leap, the net appears. It's like those that take, you know, I feel like people who take great risks receive great rewards. Um, so you just, uh, as far as, I don't know, you just kind of open your heart 
And, and what I, what another thing that's amazing that I found is like people are essentially good. You know, everybody, every culture I've gone to there, I've met incredibly warm, um, open people. I mean, when I was in Tanzania, there were people that like brought me into their shacks with third floors and they had almost nothing and they offered me half of what was almost nothing. And it's just like, I don't know. I, I think that's an amazing thing about travel is that you can see that, oh, wow, I have more in common with this culture or this person than I ever could have imagined. And, you know, we got to do, imagine if, imagine if like part of high school curriculum was, you know, you had to take a semester abroad or something, it would open everyone's minds, you know, and mm. I don't know, bring about a more peaceful world, I would imagine. So one of the things you said, it's that the law of all beings must go through periods of uncertainty and disorder to create space for transformation. It's inevitable. It's somewhere along the journey of life. Everything we know shatters and we're forced to figure out how to put the pieces back together. Why do you think so many people get stuck in the shattered part and don't manage to put the pieces back together? Mm. Um. Well, I mean, every sort of experience we have creates, um, you know, a, a, every, every sort of, well, I guess you could say negative or positive experience, but these negative experiences, again, like I'm kind of into the neuroscience thing, but like it creates this neural network and, you know, we have it also like the stronger the emotion, the, the greater the memory. And then the emotions also create like, you know, emotions are chemicals and like a, a, a creation of chemicals in our body. And like the more we revisit that, like we become addicted to, we become addicted to the emotions, which means we become addicted to the chemicals. And then we're like stuck in this loop. I mean, there have been, you know, there've been times in my life where I've been very stuck in that loop. And, you know, especially one time, I, I think I talked about it in the book, but it was kind of like I was dating this woman and she sort of disappeared really quick. And at the same time, I made this connection that like, oh my God, my mom is gone and not coming back. And I just sort of went in this circular spiral. And you know, at one point, you know, I was on like Xanax and Zoloft or something just to, just to get through the day. And um, it's like, you just keep revisiting, like especially in a breakup or something like that. Like you keep revisiting these things and you get caught in this thought loop. And so it's a lot easier. It's, it's very easy to get stuck in, in those things. And, but I think, I think the opposite is, it is also true. Like if you, especially, and this is great, this is why the gratitude uh, exercise is really great. It's like, if you, you can focus on the negative or you can focus on the positive and focusing on the positive is actually also going to create this whole like wonderful batch of chemicals in your body. And, um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that, that answers your question exactly, but I tend to go on little, little tangents. Yeah. Oh, no, it, it definitely does. Um, I think there's, you know, I mean, the funny thing is about this is, you know, I felt like this book was, we, you know, 
it was like the story of somebody traveling, but there are all these sort of false philosophical lessons uh, that, you know, I kind of wanted to basically pull out of you and, and really kind of ask you about. Uh, this is another one that struck me. You know, you said on the road, I had no one to rely on for my happiness. If I wanted happiness, it had to come from within. If I wanted new friends, it was all on me. If I wanted to stop feeling lonely or sad, I had to rise above it. Uh, and I, I wonder how we create more of that in our lives without necessarily having to go on the road. I think the, the reason that struck me is because I feel like this message is being echoed from the entire universe around me. Like when Ishita Gupta was here recently, she said that everything that she was seeking from other people, particularly parents, she realized she was going to have to give to herself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, so what is the exact question again? I guess, you know, how do we, how do we do that? How do you give these things that you're looking for? You know, you said that, you know, you had no one to rely on for these things. And I think this isn't just true when you're traveling. I think it's true in, you know, daily life. Um, I think yeah. if we, we had this approach to daily life, we'd all be happier and stronger. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think something that is fading away that is really important that you can see in other countries or third world countries or something is, is community. You know, like we live in such a, especially the United States, it's so, so divided and we're really fighting over really stupid things. Um, like not the important, meaningful things, which is like human connection, lifting other people up, um, you know, s service and whatnot. And um, I mean, there's no one else. I mean, you know, there's no, you come in, this is kind of bleak, but you come into the world alone and you die alone. And there is this thing we call life that you have to fill up with all these, you can do whatever you want with it. That's the beauty of free will. But um, I've, I've just found that when you are, when I'm the worst off times is when I'm in, in incredibly internal spaces and I have to go into a lot of internal spaces to mm -hmm. be a writer, you know, but, but, um, also some of the most rewarding things I've done is like when I, when I volunteered or been a part of a community or a band or something like that. So, um, I think it's important to to jump into experiences that take you outside of outside of yourself, um, and and really, if, if you want to take it even one step further, like be in service to other people, because you know that that is a way to to shed the ego and and to be a part of something something greater. So. Hmm. <clears throat> I think that, uh, you know, another thing that struck me was this idea of connection, right? You said connection in any form is not something that can be forced. Like everything else that moves through seasons, it takes time. And, you know, probably the reason this resonated with me so much was, you know, I, I think that as a, a, a single Indian guy who's 40 years old, having just seen his sister get married, like I realized that for my entire life, there have been these arbitrary timelines by which I've expected to do things. And I haven't done any of them by the expected timelines. And so I think that's the reason that this stood out to me. And yet, you know, we, we have this idea that everything is supposed to happen on a certain, I mean, we have deadlines, we have, you know, ages. How do we, how do we undo that? And, and you know, how do, how do you, I mean, effectively to me, our entire conversation at this point is beginning to sound like what this is about surrendering to the circumstances of your life. Yeah. Well, I mean, there are two sides of that coin. There's surrender and there's, and then there's yeah. also creation. Yeah. So 
you know, it, it, it's not easy to break outside of, of the norms of society. And, um, but what's, you know, I was just writing about this for somebody else. Like what's, what's more important, like your financial stability, which, you know, also could be an illusion or your happiness and following what you're passionate about. So, I mean, I think you just, you just have to have courage and, and follow your own internal compass and, you know, and, and also be, and also be intentional on that journey, which I am to a certain degree. And then I also am not on another degree, but, you know, I mean, the crux of this book is like create surrender trust. So it's like, create what you want, um, surrender the outcome and trust it'll come in a, in a greater way than you could ever imagine. And that's where you have to really get out of the way of like manufacturing, controlling, you know, manipulating, uh, experiences or your environment to create these things. You know, I, I've always found that if you just like get out of the way, then which is easier said than done because I am so good at getting in my own way. But as soon as you get out of the way, this incredible things start to show up. And, um, you know, I'm very, to a certain degree, intentional about what I want to create. And, um, you know, one of the, one of the things that I wanted to create was that, um, my, my name is like synonymous with like Cheryl Strayed and Elizabeth Gilbert. Like I, like the male version of that, you pray love. Of course, it's, it's different, but hopefully, uh -huh. you know, or sex, drug, and rock and roll, you know, deeper philosophy about consciousness and the nature of yeah. creation. Um, this woman reached out to me like, I don't know, about a month ago or something. And she's like, I'm sitting with my mother who's like has Parkinson's and dementia and I'm reading your book and I can't stop. I'm on chapter six. And, and then she emailed me like 12 hours later and she's like, I just read your entire book. There's so many, um, there's so many, uh, serendipities and synchronicities with my own life, blah, blah, blah. And I'm really good friends with Elizabeth Gilbert. And I'm, I'm sending you your book. I'm sending her your book. And I was like, oh my God. And then wow. I had another friend who is connected with Cheryl Strayed, who has sent Cheryl Strayed my book as well. So, you know, it's like the thing about intention and creating is like you, I, I think you have to keep revisiting that thing. And, you know, it's, that possibility that exists, let's say, in, in the quantum, quantum field as just frequency, you know, energy and light. And it's like, you know, the more you revisit, it's like every time you visit that, this is like something like Joe Dispenza would say, but like, it's like dropping a stone in a pond, right? And, and the transference of energy in the universe is the wave. So it's like when you drop, every time you visit that intention, you're dropping a stone in a pond and that that wave, that ripple ripples out as a wave, but you, you never know how big the pond you're dropping that in, in is. So it's like at some point, you know, it, it, that wave will reach the end of the pond and it'll like come back to you. So, I mean, that's kind of how I think of, of intention and creation. You just have to keep revisiting that thing. And also the important element is that you, you revisit it with, with, um, the feeling and emotion of what the fruition or the manifestation of that idea would be. That that's I think the important element to to pull that into you. Well, I mean, I think you you've you kind of alluded to earlier, right? That there's also this part of having an intention but no attachment to it. 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can be sort of, there's a certain level, of, it's, it's, it's a complicated little dance, um, but the, there's a certain level of attachment in regard to it coming to fruition, but you have to get out of the way and let it come in mm. a completely unknown, unexpected way. Wow. Easier said than done, right? Yeah, it is easier said than done. I mean, it's one of those things that I've, I've been trying to get at the, the, the sort of heart of this, you know, commit, commitment to something, but not being attached to it. You know, I, I feel like this is the universe trying to tell me something. Uh, because I feel like this is a conversation on different versions that I've had with multiple people over the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and a lot of things have, have suddenly just gotten a lot better because, uh, you know, external circumstances have changed in ways that I didn't expect rather quickly because of it. But yes, easier said than done. Like, I think that we all have this uh, desire to to change something. You know, it, our, our happiness is so conditional. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and the, the key is to like not make it conditional. You have to you have to generate that happiness from within. You can't rely on something external. I'm I mean, do, do you have sort of a, a creative process for things you want to bring into the... You know, I mean, at this point, my creative process is to surrender. Uh, it's funny yeah. because, you know, I wanted to do a third book with a publisher, but my agent said I wasn't ready. And I, so I ended up just saying, okay, let me just see what comes up on the paper. I ended up finishing a, a self-published book that I'm going to release in a few weeks. And then in that process of you know, writing that self-published book, all of the things that I was thinking about for this next book that I want to do with publisher just started to come up. Um, it took me a long time to get there, but I think, it, you know, I think I'm finally at a point where I can go back to my agent and say, hey, I have something. I think I'm ready. Uh, we'll see, you know. And then, you know, it, I mean, in, in other areas of my life as well, uh, I've just seen this play out over and over. Yeah. I actually, like, this is actually a self-published book, mm-hmm. which I did not want to do, but there were, there were, people in my sphere who are influential and stuff. And they're like, you just have to put this out now. Like somebody else is trying to express this. You have to put this out and like live it and surrender and trust like how things are going to, going to work out. And not, not this fall, but the previous fall, I was so, um, it's so much anxiety about putting this book out into the world because it's, you know, it's fictionalized, but it is my, you know, my life and my soul and my internal journey and all that stuff. And, um, the woman that I was seeing and, and the woman that I was seeing in Mexico City, um, she came to visit me for about five days in Seattle. And then she left on a Sunday. And on Monday, I wrote my gratitude intention journal. I'm like, I need somebody to show up this week to guide me whether I go the traditional route or the self-publishing route. So Tuesday, she calls me um, because the second big earthquake happened in Mexico City and she was crying. And um, I was like, she's like, I said, I wish I could just come down and help you or hug you or something. And she was like, why don't you? And I was thinking, oh my gosh, I have so many important things to do here in Seattle, but I really had nothing going on at the moment. So Wednesday, I booked a ticket to um, Mexico City. Thursday, I was in Mexico City. Friday, we're working at this coffee shop and I get this email from a woman who I was put, she owns a self-publishing company and I was put on a, a email string with her like a month prior. So she reaches out and she says, Hey, I'm so sorry. I'm just getting back to you. I was on vacation. And then there was this little earthquake. And I said, Oh, you must have been vacationing in Mexico or, or Mexico City. And she said, No, I'm based in Mexico City. And I was like, Oh my God, this is ridiculous. So I was like, Okay, well, how about you're not going to believe this, but I'm in Mexico City right now. So how about we meet next week? And so I met with her and that was sort of, that was the path that happened. And then 
um, I met this, uh, I met this woman who I've, I've been hanging out with here, um, in San Miguel. And she was, she was a jewelry designer. Now she has this, uh, boutique hotel called Casa Delphine here. And, um, one day she comes to me and she's like, Hey, my client called and, um, she wants a ring. And then she proceeds to tell me that she is this huge figure in publishing. And she's like, and I'm sending her a book. So it's like, you know, I've been dropping this pebble in, in, in the pond and, you know, hoping, hoping it all comes back, but something is happening because, um, you know, I, my, my, some of my own writings have been picked up in Dr. Joe Dispenza's newsletter. So that's, he has a huge reach around the world. So my book has been getting out there and, you know, I've gotten letters from people in Israel and Australia and Ireland and um, Mexico and stuff. So yeah, here it is. Here it is again, the big surrender and trust experiment, right? Amazing. Wow. Uh, I feel like you and I could talk for like two or three hours uh, about oh, yeah. some of this stuff because you know, it's all such a deep rabbit hole. But uh, I think this makes a, a really kind of fitting place to to wrap up our conversation. Uh, but I have one final question, which I know you've heard me ask. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Um, I think uh, I thought about this question and I'm going to break it down. But I think the big the big umbrella idea is courage. So one would be the courage to stand in the expression of your own truth, not in opposition as like religion and politics tend to create, but in addition to the greater good. Um, I think the courage to look deeply within at our stories, because we all have these stories, these like early woundings or, or whatever. And also, like I talked about in the very beginning, the two strands of the DNA, like we have we inherited these stories at sort of a DNA and even energetic level of our parents. So to look at those stories and transcend them and say, you know, and when you can do that, you can say, I'm not that I am this. And in this recent essay, I wrote um, on surrender, resilience, and oh my God, I can't remember what it is, but I was exploring this, this idea of I am. And then um, having the courage to jump into the unknown, because that's where the magic happens. Otherwise, you know, if we're living in the unknown, if we're living in the known, it's a known. So magic can't happen in those spaces. Um, I think people who have the courage to, to find the good in others, because we are all an expression of the same energy. I mean, the butterfly and myself are an expression of this energy that is universal. Um, and then I guess, yeah, I mean, having the, having the courage to just, yeah, like I said in the beginning, just to be the greatest expression of yourself and um, not at the, not in service to anyone else uh, or any idea, but in service to yourself, but within that idea, in service to the greater good, if that makes sense. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I can't thank you enough for uh, taking the time to join us and share your story and your insights with our listeners. Um, where can people find out more about you, your work, and uh, everything else that you're up to? Uh, my website, the book is called A Curious Year in the Great Fivarium Experiment. Um, and my website is, um, actually, can I just say the idea of what the Vivarium is? Yeah, which I, I guess we never really mentioned that. Yeah. 
um, a vivarium is a place such as a laboratory where live animals or plants are kept under conditions simulating their natural environment as for research. So where I live in Seattle, there's this, um, there's this permanent, I live next to the Seattle Sculpture Park and there's this permanent installation there called the Newcom Vivarium. And Newcom is the family that, that, uh, donated it, but I would always walk through this thing. And it was like this nurse log that fell like 30 miles outside of Seattle. And they created this structure over it that simulates the natural environment of, of where it was 30, 30 miles away. And I was, I would always, I was just kind of fascinated with it. And I would just walk through it on my way home. And one day there was this guy in there who's a volunteer and told me all about it. And, and it just kind of hit me. And I'm like, oh my God, this is the idea of the book. Like inside the vivarium is our life's journey, which is you know, we're here to sort of poke about, use, use our senses to poke about in the physical world. And we are, you know, learning about what this is about, why we're here, all those sort of things. And outside of it is the unifying principle, which is consciousness. It's what we're all connected to. So that was sort of, um, the idea behind it. So the way to get a hold of me is, uh, a curious year.com. I'd love to hear from people and under the about tab. Like if you need help coaching or, or ghostwriting or anything like that, um, you know, I'd, I'd be happy to help you. And, um, you can buy the book right, right on my app, uh, website through Amazon and everything like that. Yeah. A com. Now I'm, uh, hopefully going to start working on the next three books. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we'll wrap the show with that. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator, that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, 
K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.